Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Working Change. This is Nate. And Marla. And today we are going to be talking about social anxiety disorder. Social anxiety disorder. Yeah, formerly known as social phobia. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So So we talked about anxiety before. We have, yeah. So we're we're getting a little bit more under that umbrella of anxiety and just getting more specific now. Yes, yes. So why talk about this? So I think we should talk about this because <laughs> it is believed that social anxiety disorder is the second most common psychiatric condition after depression. Mm, okay. So I've heard numbers anywhere from 10 to 12% of all Americans will at some point be diagnosed with uh, social anxiety disorder. Um, the worldwide figures are a little bit lower. It's okay. believed about 4% of people worldwide will suffer from uh, social anxiety disorder. But if you if you you know do roughly the math, that's several hundred million people worldwide that will deal with this. So, common disorder. A lot of people staying home. Yeah. And away from other people. I know. I know, which is too <laughs> okay, bad. So I, this I don't, is a problem. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that the the sh- the shutdowns because of COVID and mm-hmm. you know all of that exacerbated some symptoms for people like getting back out was really difficult for some people. I agree. I agree. So let's talk about maybe what social anxiety disorder specifically is. Yes. And isn't. Yes. You know, so I have whipped out my little DSM five here, which is a diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fancy. Um, and it has a whole section on social anxiety disorder. And when I learned this for the first time in my classes, I was kind of surprised because I kind of lumped like agoraphobia into this. I was like, oh, it's somebody who never comes out mm-hmm. of their house, which isn't what it is. Right. So what it really is, is it has um, goes A through J, like just certain points that you have to have of what it is and isn't. The first one is like a marked fear or anxiety about one or more social situations in which the individual is exposed to possible scrutiny by others. Okay. Okay. Um, so like social interactions, conversation, meeting unfamiliar people, uh, being observed, like maybe eating in public or something, performing in front of others, like giving a speech. Now, interestingly enough, though, if that's the only thing you have a fear of is like giving a speech, you have a specific phobia of mm. that. You don't. It's not like a it's social not thing. social anxiety disorder. Yeah. Um, and then the next one B would be individual, f- uh, the individual fears that he or she will act in a way or show anxiety as symptoms, um, that will be negatively evaluated. So there has to be some judgment piece. Like they're scared that somebody else is going to see them in this situation and be judging them. And there's a fear of that also. Mm-hmm. Um, the social situations almost always provoke fear or anxiety. So it's, it's a continual thing. It's not just a once and a little bit. The social situations are avoided or even endured. So they may show up, but it's like pins and needles the whole time. Which criteria is that one? That is D. D. Yeah. Sorry. I skipped a couple here. (laughs) We're just going through them all. (laughs) E would be that the fear or anxiety is out of proportion. Okay. Um, to the situation. And F is the fear, anxiety or avoidance is persistent typically lasting more than six months. So if you go through a period of a couple months where you're just not feeling the socialness and it's really excruciating like for you, you don't get this diagnosis of um, social anxiety disorder. It has Mm -hmm. to be over six months. Okay. And then um, 
G is the fear, anxiety, or avoidance causes clinically significant distress or impairment in your social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. So this isn't just in one little spot that you're having problems. You're having problems all through your life. And it's a huge, it's a huge problem. Um, you're avoiding work. You're avoiding, um, you know, going to your families. You, 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 there's a whole bunch of areas that you're just avoiding that, that social interaction because you're scared that somebody is going to be judging you. Right. Um, the, let's see, H, the, the fear or anxiety or avoidance is not attributable to a physiological effects of a substance. So there are sometimes drugs, medications that you can be taking that will cause anxiety or fear of a social situation. And you can't be on those and get this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, then I is the fear, anxiety, or avoidance is not better explained by the symptoms of another mental disorder, such as like panic disorder or body dysmorphic disorder or autism spectrum disorder. So if you have those issues, you're going to get that diagnosis and not social anxiety because those um, disorders have a component where the social anxiety is is kind of built into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and J, finally, if another medical condition, and they said like Parkinson's or obesity or disfigurement from burns or injury is present, the fear, anxiety, or avoidance is clearly unrelated or is excessive. So all of those things, if you meet all of those criteria, you may have social anxiety disorder, you, you, you know, and that's what social anxiety disorder, according to the DSM-5, looks like. Yeah. Okay. So... So social That's a lot. I know it is a lot. We're all asleep now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, well, it's it's good to understand what it is and what it isn't. Yes. Um, I think in in my case, so I was diagnosed uh, in my early twenties with generalized anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. but I recognized that there's a strong social component. When I was later diagnosed after having a brain scan, I thought it was interesting that they diagnosed me with uh, anxiety disorder unspecified. Mm. And and I think that was recognition that, that while there was a generalized component, there was also a social component. Um, and I, and I, I saw it frequently. I know that, that you saw it when I was going through graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated reading feedback on my papers, even but if I got a good grade. It. Yeah. Even if I got a <laughs> I good grade. I would have grade. to read it. I'd be like, I'll open it up and yeah. look for you. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want to, I didn't want to see it because I was fearful that there'd be something negative in there. Right. And, and, you know, oh, there I go again. Even though I got a good grade, there was still failure. So I think that, that, that there's a lot of important, things that we can understand about social anxiety disorder, which ultimately we'll get to later, which will help us kind of work through it. Mm-hmm. So, so understanding what it is, is, is a big part of, of how we can overcome it. Okay. So how does social anxiety disorder develop? Um, to me, and this, this dun, is dun, just dun. me. Yeah. Just me. <laughs> this is just me. I have a tendency to feel like this is kind of more related to nurture as opposed to nature. Now, I, 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 I do understand that there are people that are naturally more high stress, that are, pe- you know, people have more active amygdalas, and that's, that's part of the problem with, with anxiety disorders. Um, so, so there is a heritable factor. You know, mm-hmm. we do have some heredity there, but to me, it's like certain negative experiences. That, that really kind of leads someone to this. One of the things that's interesting about social anxiety disorder is um, 
over half of people that develop it develop it before the age of 14. Hmm. So it's definitely something early on in life. We know that children, when they experience things, because it's it's maybe the first time they've experienced it, they don't have a lot of life experience to fall back on. Um, they internalize what just happened, and and maybe they were treated poorly, and it wasn't because they did anything wrong. Maybe the person that they were interacting with was having a bad day, but but they blame themselves. Oh, this is giving me like total anxiety, like of like being pissed, picked last in like PE class. And like never wanting to go to PE. Oh yeah. <laughs> because I'm yeah. like, oh no, I'm always the last get picked. <laughs> so yeah. So for me, it never was, going to PE again. I'll uh-huh. get the F. I'll take the F. <laughs> for me, I really started to see some of this in about first grade. So yeah. f- in first grade, we were living in in one city, and then we moved to another one. And when mm-hmm. I moved to this other city, I asked. I had had a lot of positive experiences right. with other kids, yeah. and I was like, hey, you want to be friends? And he's like, no. And Aww. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he's <laughs> little kids thing. are brutal sometimes. <laughs> Here he is having a rough day. I was like, oh. And so I, you know, I felt like, I was like, that doesn't feel very good. Yeah, I'm the weird little kid. (laughs) And uh, in reading group, there was this kid that was in like regular reading group. And I wanted to be in advanced reading group because I really like to read. And and I was brand new to the school. So you got to give it some time. But of course, I was impatient. (laughs) And I noticed one of the kids wasn't in regular reading group anymore. He's in advanced reading group. So I was like, hey, how'd you get in advance? He's like, I don't know. They just told me to go home and do this packet. Like, like we had, we had a packet we were going to do for the whole year. So I went home and over the next week I did the entire packet. And then I went and like proudly presented it to my teacher because I thought that that was going to gain me interest into the uh, entrance into Uh the advanced reading group. And she looked at me like, I have no idea what you're trying to do right now. I was like, Oh, I did it all. So I can go to the other group. And she's like, um, no. (laughs) So I have these like couple experiences after I changed schools and and I started to kind of question myself. I was like, right. okay, maybe I'm not a great reader because they didn't see it. Maybe, maybe I'm not a great not, friend. Yeah, because people to be didn't my want friend. to be a friend. Yeah. And then and then like eight months, nine months later, we moved again, and I went to a new school. I did not. You're, I'm not going to read, not, and yeah. I'm not going to ask for friends. Like, I, it, yeah. yeah, I I struggled to make friends. Mm-hmm. I I started to become very quiet. I really doubted. Started to doubt myself scholastically, and I struggled. Um, throughout many years. So, so it's interesting how a couple of pivotal experiences start to kind of set us down this path. Yeah. And, and while I was never di- fully diagnosed or, or. I just want to give little Nate a hug. Yeah. It's okay, I'll yeah. be your friend. Don't yeah. Worry. And you know, and that's one of those situations <laughs> where, where if I had understood things correctly, I could yeah. have gone to my parents to get support. And, but you know, I just, I didn't want to be a downer. I didn't want to be like, oh, <laughs> some kid didn't want to be my friend. Well, you were what in first grade too? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like six years old. Yeah. So. So I will tell you this, that according to the National Institute of Mental Health, mm-hmm. you're kind of correct. They have a little section. They have like a, a brochure they put out about social anxiety disorder and it's called More Than Just Shyness. Mm-hmm. And in there, there's a section that says, you know, where does it come from? And they do say that there is a hereditary like piece, like it, you can pass it on, but not everybody does. Like right. just because that's passed on doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have that or, um, or some people who have it, it's not a, like a, a passed on thing. So there is a, a strong nurture component to yeah. it. So you're right on track. Yes. Fact checking. Yes. yes. Well, I appreciate that because <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes I, I get my disorders mixed up. What? Yes, I know. I'm like, oh, this is how it goes. And somebody's like, oh, that's the other one. Oh, shoot. Okay, so I do want to just talk just briefly about the brain areas that seem to be affected. Are there going to be rats today? No rats. Yeah. (laughs) No social rats. Okay. 
But there will be the amygdala, I'm sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we talk about the amygdala a lot when it comes to anxiety. So yes. amygdala is our fear center. It's part of our limbic system. Our limbic system is is like our, our emotional center mm-hmm. in our brain. And another area that is heavily implicated in social anxiety disorder is the hippocampus. Hippocampus is another area that is part of the limbic system. It has a lot to do with forming new memories. Okay. And then the other area there seems to be problems is in the prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex is kind of our most advanced part of our brain. It's a little slower acting. Uh, it's where we can plan. It's, right. you know, it's basically where logic. Executive functioning. Right, yeah. right. So what we tend to see is is the amygdala is enlarged. It, okay. It's, it's a little bit larger when you have social anxiety disorder. The hippocampus is a little bit decreased in size based on what you would expect. And you're, the, the prefrontal cortex is not functioning quite as well as what you would typically expect. So the anxiety component of those three is working overtime. Right. And then the other areas that can kind of act as checks and balances, the, the hippocampus also um, works with context. Okay. So it might be that you're you're going to a party, and and our amygdala is it, it's it's a big part of our survival mechanism, right? In a, of our brain, it's mm-hmm. you know the reason we want it's our, that right. we don't want to get rid of our amygdala, like right. it, it keeps us alive, right? Yeah, right. And so so the amygdala it sees negativity, so it'll notice an angry. <laughs> it's like your little negative voice. It is. It is. It'll. <laughs> you wore the wrong shirt to this party. Mm-hmm. You smell. Right. You're too short. They're right. not going to like you. And that, I can keep going if you want. Yeah, and that twinge you're feeling <laughs> yes. is, is all because of run, the amygdala run. sending signals yeah. mm-hmm. all over the place. So ultimately, the hippocampus is there to help give us context. So if you go to a party and you see somebody and they have just a scowl on their face, your amygdala might be like, oh, is, they don't that, like me. is that a problem? Yeah. Like, So it's kind of sending alarm bells off. Well, your hippocampus can kind of counteract that, where your hippocampus is giving you a little bit of context. Oh, well, he might just having a, a, a bad, a bad day. day. I have nothing to do with that. Me. Frown might be he's sad. It could be the you know something right. else. Right, right. So you know, and the prefrontal cortex does kind of the same thing, although it acts a little bit slower. But you can you know you can think about it more with the prefrontal right. cortex and kind of work your way through it. So that that might be what someone with a normal or or, or functioning optimally correct brain. I just throw correct out there. An optimi- <laughs> optimal functioning brain right. might be working somewhere along those lines. You see a, a scowl on the face. Your amygdala's like, is everything okay? Hippocampus and you know, and, and the prefrontal cortex are like, yeah, we're okay. We got this. Yeah, no you're, problem. You're fine. Yeah, enjoy, just be a little enjoy the party. Yeah. Th- that's what you would like to see, but that's not what someone with social right. anxiety disorder experiences. Right. So Amygdala takes over and says. Right. Run! It's it's, Run. it's right. It's sending signals to other parts of the yes. brain to release cortisol mm-hmm. and and other stress hormones. Um, it, it, you know, it, you basically could end up in fight or flight where you're right. sweating and your heart rate's elevated and you're feeling real uncomfortable. Right. So that is kind of what can happen physically in the brain areas that seem to be implicated in all of this. All right. So what can we do about it? Whew. I don't know. <laughs> Tell our amygdala to go home. No, there's, there's, we're going to always say therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good thing of for course, it. Of and types of therapy that you can use are like CBT and ACT. Um, right. Is, is what. So, so CBT is. The National co- Institute of Mental Health, you know, suggested. Recommends us, yeah. So CBT is your cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. And ACT is ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And they, they operate a little bit differently, but 
but they both have components that are really helpful for anxiety. So CBT would be something along the lines of like you have an emotion Mm -hmm. and it might be an uncomfortable emotion. So let's say you're feeling anxiety and CBT would, would immediately get you to start trying to use the prefrontal cortex, the logic part of your brain and, and start questioning whether that's reasonable. So Mm -hmm. you're at a party, you're, you're, your amygdala starts freaking out. Your heart rate goes up. You're sweating. You're feeling uncomfortable. CBT would would have you start to kind of talk to yourself. There's like some self talk. Right. Is there actually a problem? Right. Do I need to be concerned? You know, is this actually a dangerous place to me? And you're looking around. Everybody's having a good time. There's not really any problem. You may be able to to kind of calm your brain down. You might engage in like deep breathing techniques mm-hmm. or things that people may not even notice. Just to kind of cool your body down and get your right. brain acting like like everything is okay. I think it's an important thing to understand. Anxiety has an important evolutionary function oh, for yeah. people. Like that's how we survived. A lot of a lot of social anxiety disorder probably comes from the fact that we needed to be a member, like an important member of a tribe, in order to survive. Right. And we needed to be social. Yeah, you need to be social. You know, Um, I've read several articles that just say it just has evolutionary roots. Right. You know, we needed people to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, We needed a group. Like if you were the lone man out in the middle of nowhere, you were going to die. Right. Um, It just was easier, you know, if you have a tribe of people to like be able to see the oncoming harm that was coming your way. Um, But social, you know, it was interesting. I read an article that said that social anxiety, um, was considered to be like a form of competitive anxiety. And I thought, what? That was, that's really interesting for me. But it says that it triggers our perceptions of like feeling inferior. Mm-hmm. Like we're being competitive with like social rank and, you know, where do I fit into this right. place? You know, am I on the top, you know, back to PE? Am I going to be picked first or am I going to be picked last? You know, where, right. where am and, I? And think about that for a second. Imagine you're in the tribe and a tribe of 200 people and you're you're 199 right. or 200 you you are one famine away from I am dead the, well i'm the one they're feeding to the saber tooth tiger right. they're like go ahead chuck her right. out we have know, a dangerous job let them she do she runs it. slow she's fine right. you know they're going to eat marlin right, right. so you know vital resources were important so mm-hmm. if you were the low man on the totem pole you know you weren't going to get resources right and so there was that competition and so we we needed that you know, we needed the the amygdala to tell us you're in trouble. You know, you need to fight, flight, freeze. You better you know? figure out something you're good right. at so that you exactly. can elevate your status. But it, now in today's society, like especially Western society, we um, we're more of an individualistic culture, which right. means that we look out for ourselves rather than the community, and um, that might explain like why our anxiety is so high because we're looking out for ourselves and we're being more competitive mm-hmm. in, in by nature, and so social things if they feel very competitive, are not going to be fun. They're going to be very anxious, mm-hmm. filled. You know, you're going and you're like, okay, am I going to impress the right people? Am I going to be able to find that date, that good-looking woman, you know? Is she going to be able to look at me? That kind of thing. So it's it's more of a competitive thing rather than just enjoying it. And it was interesting because one of the articles actually said what you can do is a lot of times with social anxiety, you are living too much in your head. Yes. You're talking yes. to yourself constantly. Oh, nobody likes me and I wear the wrong thing and I just, I can't do this. Oh my gosh, my heart is pounding. I'm going to freak out. You know, I shouldn't have come. This is a horrible idea. I'm going to do everything wrong. There's something in my teeth. 
you're just in your head when, when they said the best thing to do is get out of your head. Right. Get out into the room. Just enjoy what somebody else is doing. Talk to somebody else. Engage. And and that's the idea of being present, which yes. applies very much to, to acceptance and commitment therapy. Right. So ultimately what you're trying to do is get out of, of this part of your brain that we, that is sometimes, or these structures that work together to create what we call the default mode network. Mm -hmm. And the default mode network, it has to do more with thinking and evaluation. And then the, the executive control network, which is a series of structures that work together to get us to kind of pursue things. So you might, you know, go find somebody to actually interact with. And when you're being present with them, you're not sitting there thinking about yourself and what's in your teeth. Right. So. So I thought that was really good advice. Yeah. You know, remember to get out of your head when you're doing something social. And mm -hmm. I know that when I, because sometimes I can play those games where I don't want to be social. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be really painful. But when I go with the right attitude of like, oh, I'm going to go try to make somebody else happy, not just myself. It it seems to go better. Yeah. I enjoy yeah. it more. Yeah. Um, one of the things with CBT, this is, which is really interesting is the idea of exposure therapy mm -hmm. and, and some exposure therapy, which is essentially exposing someone to that thing they're fearful of. So you, you see a lot in, in, in therapy for phobias is, is you can actually use exposure therapy that's pretend. So, so you can sit there and imagine yourself in a crowded room and, 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 some people think, well, that, that sounds silly. Why, you know, why do that? Well, for people that have social anxiety disorder, they, they actually w can experience like a physical response mm -hmm. when they just think of that. Um, I know for me, um, when I think I, I have claustrophobia and I had to get a, a MRI. Oh, that was horrible. I, yeah. I climbed out of the tube. <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm getting back in that thing. So they put me in a bigger tube and I wanted to climb out of that one. <laughs> So you had to sit there the whole time and like rub my leg and talk to me because yeah. I was having such a rough time. <laughs> but so, so if I sit down and close my eyes and think about being in, in tube. an MRI tube, <laughs> yeah, I, I have like a physical reaction. Yeah. My heart starts beating. I start sweating. So, so that's one of the things that we can do with exposure therapy is, is imagine ourselves in a like social situation. And what you want to do is find a social situation that's comfortable. Maybe it's people, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. And, and find out where the, where the discomfort is. And that will tell you a little bit about what you might struggle. It might be, oh, there's strangers. And some of the things that people will do is come up with a script and they will intentionally go talk to a stranger and have a script in their mind. And so they already know what they're going to say. And if the conversation gets a little like wild, then it might be like, oh, I got to go. But you know, <laughs> you stick to your script. And ultimately what you're trying to do is you're, you're just trying to get more comfortable with the idea that you can have interactions and not mm -hmm. make a fool of yourself. Because oftentimes, again, we're looking at evaluation where if you're afraid that people are going to, going to perceive us negatively and they're going to somehow communicate to us that we're boring or that we right. sound stupid or, you know, any kind of negative thing, any kind of rejection. So what we're trying to do ultimately is have some positive experiences. And if we can start to build on those positive experiences, then people can start to gain confidence and then they can start to overcome this. Right. And the interesting thing that you just said is, is, you know, sometimes social anxiety is, is kind of linked to this idea that we have to be perfect too. Yeah. Perfectionism, perfectionism is, mm -hmm. is kind of a, a cruel thing. So uh, taking that down a notch and just giving yourself this green light that I'm a human, I make mistakes, I'm not perfect and enjoying like those flaws and those 
quirks and those idiosyncrasies that you have within yourself mm-hmm. and celebrating that rather than like trying to dampen it and, and be what you think everybody else is, right. is really helpful too. Yeah. And I like when I, when I work with people that are dealing with stuff like social anxiety disorder, I really like to ask them like, what are you good at? What do you perceive you're good at? And what do you perceive you're not good at? Mm-hmm. Because if you have kind of a rough idea of what you think you're good at and what you think you're not good at, you know, when you enter into a conversation, I feel like people are a little bit more comfortable because the perfectionism says you have to be good at everything and nobody's good at everything. You have right. to be, you have to be perfect at everything. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not just you have to be good at everything. You have to be I got perfect. a lot of work to do, man. <laughs> uh, seriously. Yeah, we all do. So, you know, if we, if we know where, where we're strong and we know where we're weak, yeah. sometimes just that knowledge alone will alleviate anxiety because right. it's like, yeah, I'm just not that good at that. Um, so I think another important factor with social anxiety disorder is this is like i mentioned earlier a lot of people develop this before the age of 14 mm-hmm. um when you look at depression 70 percent of people that are diagnosed with depression previously had developed social anxiety disorder i mean mm-hmm. that's a massive number if you look at alcohol use disorder 80 percent of people um that also had social anxiety disorder had developed that first so, so ultimately what you see is, is this kind of thing starts young and often leads to other things. So yeah. I, I think well, for think all the about that. There, like if we think about that from like a society thing where we need other people mm-hmm. and we need connection, if you're having a really hard time connecting with other people because it's just painful because you perceive yourself as, you know, being judged harshly, then it's going to be depressing. And yes. you're going to look for a way to numb, which would be the substance use, that feeling of like just extreme judgment and not being good enough. Right. So that all makes perfect sense in my head that right. that would be a huge, but those numbers are kind of staggering. Yeah. They're, they're surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I I really do think that, that this kind of thing can be avoided. You know, check in occasionally with your young ones, especially if they're really shy. Try to get them to come out of their shell a little bit. At least talk to you. Um, if you can do that, you know, if you start to realize that something definitely looks off and they're trying to avoid people all the time, you know, you, it might be helpful to have them see a doctor. There's some meds that can be prescribed if right. that's the direction you want to go. You know, therapy can be helpful. I especially would look for someone that has experience with this type of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm a big, big believer in support groups for people with social anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that probably just makes perfect sense. They're going to hate going to support groups. <laughs> probably the first few, they're going to be like, no, please, because their anxiety right. is going crazy. Well, they don't know anybody. So everybody's judging you. You think, right. you know, where am I going to fit in this group? And right. what are they all going to think about me? And, right. Yeah. But support groups are, are generally pretty controlled. So there's yeah. a therapist, a psychologist, somebody there, kind of, you know, kind of like the referee that's mm-hmm. that's and usually the people that are there are trying to be supportive of, of each other yeah. so it's a good it's a good place to to have positive social experiences with other people that are going through well, to practice things. to practice mm-hmm. being absolutely. social yeah absolutely. which i hate the saying but practice makes perfect you're yeah. not ever going to be perfect but it practice does increase right your knowledge and and becoming better at, at what you're doing yeah absolutely so ultimately, um, those are those seem to be the best ways to try and tackle this. Um, a therapist that has some experience with it, support groups, um, something with therapy-wise with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. or acceptance and commitment therapy, um, 
you can do some different types of things on your own, like, uh, like just kind of imagining, you know, mm-hmm. yourself in these situations. And for some people that actually, that kind of helps. It freaks them out at first. Um, but if they can just sit there and deal with the difficult emotion, um, or even, even maybe what you're imagining is, is too far. You're not ready for that and kind of dial it back and find a more comfortable thought. Um, so then, I'm raising my hand right now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't sure what that meant. <laughs> I'm waving and waving. <laughs> so I want to know, what do you do for somebody who you know has social anxiety disorder or that ha- just has this huge fear of being social, like a loved one? And we've talked a little bit yeah. about kids. So it's, it's tough. If it's, a, if it's a child, you know, you can, you can get them in therapy. They may not like it, but, but you have that power. If it's, a, mm-hmm. if it's someone that's a peer, that's a little bit tougher to do. If it's you know, someone that's an adult and oftentimes what you hear from people with social anxiety disorder is I, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It's doesn't sound fun. The interesting thing is studies show when people with social anxiety disorder are social, especially with, with controlled environments where they feel comfortable with the people, they report happiness. They report feeling happier that they did it. Right. So we, we know that they, that they need it, but, but often what you hear from people is, well, I'm, I'm introverted or I don't really like people. Um, and, and I, I suspect that's kind of our ego, uh, mm-hmm. taking something off the table that terrifies us right. because we just don't want to deal with it. I feel like I've done that in the past. Oh, yeah. So oh, you've heard it. You've seen me. <laughs> I'm going to throw you under the bus. You're, yeah. You've done it. So <laughs> I would say that if you have a loved one that, that is dealing with this, educate yourself first. Understand what they're going through. Read oh, yeah, there's about a lot it. of material out there. Read about yeah. it. Try to, you know, figure out where their triggers are, what, what's going on with them, um, how that might feel. Talk to them a lot about it. I know that, like, in the past, when you've had some issues with going to social things, um, sometimes I just have to go alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, I give you that that space to work it through yourself, especially if they're an adult. You know, I mean – they're an adult. They get yep. to make those choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but then being supportive when they do try. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I always liked our little uh, debriefings afterwards. Hey, how'd that go? Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that? You know, I thought that went great for you. And, right. You know, yeah. giving positive feedback and, you know, finding their strengths. You know, I thought that you did great at that. That was like really awesome that, mm-hmm. you know, looked like you enjoyed that part. Because I don't think when we're in that moment and we're so scared or whatever or not that we're like seeing the good that we're doing. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's a big problem when when we're talking about social anxiety disorder or any anxiety problem. We, you know, people have a tendency to kind of doubt themselves mm-hmm. and to feel like they're actually worse than they actually are. Well, the interesting thing is, is like I have been to places that like I have been really anxious about being there, and I'll have people afterwards tell me, I, I will mention, you know, I was so anxious about being there, I just didn't really want to go, and they would say, I never knew that, like I could, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So that'll wrap up social anxiety disorder. Um, hope that was helpful. As always, email us at uh, workingchangecoaching at gmail.com if you have any questions. And uh, we'll see you next time.